Hi, I'm Cheryl Broom, CEO of Graduate Communications. The Higher Education Coffee and Conversation podcast is dedicated to exploring issues of importance to staff and faculty who work at community colleges and universities. My guest is one of the most kind, caring, and dedicated higher education professionals I've had the pleasure to know. Dr. Gustavo Chamorro fled Nicaragua with his brother when he was only 14 years old. His journey took him through Central America, Mexico, and ultimately across the U.S. border. When he arrived in the U.S. without a dollar to his name, he worked odd jobs until he met a community college counselor whose guidance put him on a path to serve others through education. Today, Dr. Chamorro is the Orange County Director of the Los Angeles-Orange County Regional Consortium, an organization of 29 community college institutions that serves as a framework to communicate, coordinate, collaborate and plan career and technical education and workforce economic development in Southern California. Dr. Chamorro shares his incredible journey to the United States, what it was like as a non-native English speaker attending community college, and the work he does now to help colleges guide students to success. His story is a story of success and also an amazing example of the power of relationships. All right, Gustavo. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you for inviting me. You have such an incredible story. And I usually start out the podcast by asking guests to tell me about their careers at community college. But I wanted to start off our conversation by asking you to share your entire story from growing up as a young boy and how you came to the United States uh, to where you are now? Well, it, it is a kind of a long story. It, it actually uh, started uh, in Nicaragua, uh, Central America. Uh, that's where I was born. I lived there until before I turned 14 years old. In Nicaragua, we had a communist uh, regime. You, we, we had, um, there was a uh, a war going on between the uh, the regime. Uh, they were called Sandinistas, and um, people who uh, were called Contras, who were trying to um, you know defeat the communists. Long story short, there was a, a selective uh, service where you were basically uh, recruited, not based on your age, but on whether you could hold a rifle. Meaning that if you were, even if you were 10, I mean, and you could hold a, a rifle and shoot, then you out you went to the jungle to fight, you know, to fight against the, uh, the other forces. Uh, at the time when, uh, after I turned 13, then um, our parents then decided that it was, they were gonna come, you know, after us at some point. To uh, to take us and uh, to join this this war. So that's when we we left. Uh, this uh, this was my brother and I, who is a year older. Things can be ironic in in, in our history. By this, I mean that um, the, this war that was happening in Nicaragua was being financed by the U.S. government. And yet, when uh, we went to the U.S. Embassy, because we wanted to get a visa to come to the U.S. and not die in the war, uh, we were denied our visas. So I remember the, it was a lady at the, uh, the U.S. Embassy in Managua, the capital, 
and she said to us, we're denying your visa because you're not going to the U.S. to visit. You're going because you're fleeing the war. At the time, I didn't quite understand it, but years later, then um, that's when I, you know, I, I sort of um, thought about it and I said, you know, that, that was ironic because here's the government, you know, who is, you know, who's financing this war. And this is the reason why so many young people are dying. And yet they don't want us to come over. If they weren't financing the war, maybe, you know, we, we wouldn't have this war. We wouldn't have this selective service. And yeah, I mean, we could maybe remain in poverty uh, as a country, but we wouldn't have to die. Anyway, so that's, that, that's what I found ironic. So we were denied the visa. And um, so the next thing was, well, how, how, do, how do we get there? What we did is we ended up uh, flying to Mexico City because uh, Mexico City did not require a visa at the time. And uh, from uh, Mexico City, then we thought that um, I did have uh, an older brother who actually uh, was living uh, here in California already. I thought that when we got to Mexico City that my brother was going to send for us, but he was facing you know, his own issues here, so he wasn't able to. And so over time, then that way turned into, I believe, three months that we had to spend in Mexico City until we were able to get a ticket to fly to Tijuana. At the time, though, there was only enough to buy tickets for three people. A friend of mine, uh, myself, and another person, we were you know, the, the fortunate ones, but my brother had to stay behind. Uh, so we flew to, to TJ. When we got to TJ, it was, um, it was, it was interesting because when, when you're coming from Central America, or I would say even South America, you have to cross more than one border. Before we cross the U.S. border then, and we arrived to TJ, it, it was prevalent at the time that you had the uh, the Mexican uh, police, Mexican equivalent of, um, I, I don't know if investigators is the right word, but they were, they would typically would try to pray, they would try to prey on immigrants coming from, from other countries to um, extort them or to take some money from them. When we uh, left the plane, we, I remember, um, at the time, they didn't have, um, they had a, a staircase that you connected to, to the plane. And so as we started to uh, come down the stairs, at the bottom of the stairs, there was uh, this uh, Mexican police um, officer, and he was pulling people aside to ask them questions. So they pulled aside uh, one of my friends who was in front of me, um, but they let me go. Uh, they interrogated my friend, but they, um, I, I guess he, my friend had trained himself to speak uh, Spanish with a Mexican accent. So um, I guess the questions were that the, um, this police officer had were trying to see if, if you were indeed from Mexico and if you were not, then that's when they would try to you know, put you somewhere and try to steal your money unless otherwise, I mean, they would send you back. So anyways, they, they let us go and uh, we, um, we got into, um, into uh, a vehicle to go to our hotel. 
And then as soon as we arrived uh, at the hotel, actually we were walking to the hotel. We, uh, the taxi left us uh, nearby and all of a sudden we had this vehicle that cut, uh, cut us off. Um, lo and behold, it was the same officer that was at the airport actually was the, uh, the officer who was in this car. So um, he proceeded to, um, to get us in, in his car and then put a gun to his lap and said, you know, you guys are not from Mexico, so you're going to give me all the money you have. Otherwise, I'm going to send you back. And so that's, we, we lost any money that we had left and uh, this officer took with the exception of, um, I think one of my friends had $5 hidden in his pocket somewhere. So that was what we had left uh, to our name. He let us go and we, we went to the hotel. We, now we don't have money at all to, to stay um, anywhere. And so we asked uh, at the hotel whether they could be, they knew someone who could get us across the border. And so the person at the, um, here at the, uh, at the registration desk then told us that he knew someone. So uh, he called, uh, uh, he called a, a person and then later that day, then they, um, they came to pick us up. We ended up at a house and they fed us. You know, we were hungry because we, we had not eaten, you know, the whole day. That very, uh, probably right after midnight, then we started walking. It was a group, I want to say it was maybe about 15 people or so. We started just walking. Uh, at some point, um, we, uh, we got to, to an area that had uh, mountains. And I remember going through, you know, through the mountain, it was like a, as if the, the mountain was not, typically when you think about uh, a mountain, you think about something, you're in the wild and, but in this case, as you were walking, I mean, you would see all types of evidence of other people who had taken the same journey. You would see water bottles, fake IDs, all kinds of evidence of people who had taken this route. And at some point then, uh, we th there was a helicopter uh, hovering over us. And that's when they told us to hide because um, it was uh, a border patrol uh, helicopter who was... Uh, trying to put the floodlights on people to see if they could apprehend you. So um, luckily, I mean, the helicopter left. Uh, we kept walking through the night. And then uh, at some point, I think we got to, I want to say it was a ranch. Uh, we got thirsty and we um, decided to drink some water. I believe that actually saved us because when we stopped, I want to say maybe it was no more than five minutes. While we were stopped, uh, there was a road ahead of us and there was a border patrol unit that just drove by at that time. So if we had not stopped, I, I believe uh, they, they would have apprehended at least some of us, at least me, because being close to uh, 14 at the time, I mean, I wouldn't have known any better. I wouldn't have known to run. I would just be in fear and... Um, I think I would have been taken. So, um, so we got lucky for the second time and we continue, uh, until it was morning time. We didn't have any water. I think it, it must've been, 
you know, winter time or so, because there were some puddles of water and um, we didn't have any water. So I decided that I'm going to drink from, from the puddle of water. Bad idea. I uh, started vomiting, kept walking until we finally got to uh, a place uh, where there was a car waiting. And then um, they proceeded to uh, fit all 15 of us <laughs> in this car. And we, uh, the car just drove. We ended up uh, in Southgate. They put us in a basement and it wasn't until um, I believe the next day, um, my brother had to come and uh, and pay the uh, the ransom money or the, the money that... Um, that needed to be paid for me. Back then, uh, if you were from Central America, then it was $500. Uh, this is 1984. But if you were from Mexico, I think uh, you, the, the price was uh, $300. That's, um, uh, for, that's the story. I mean, how, um, you know, I, I made it through crossing the border illegally, like, uh, like many other people have done in and I, and I believe many other people will continue to do because this continues to be the, uh, the land of opportunity, uh, the land uh, where people who feel persecuted or feel that their life might be in danger, you know, like me and, and, and my friends, you know, where they feel that they can be safe. So from there, you know, I, I went, uh, my brother and I, then uh, my brother lived in a garage uh, in a converted uh, garage. He worked uh, at a fast food uh, restaurant. He basically supported uh, the, the two of us uh, for some time. I decided at some point um, after a few days, you know, I need to do something. I need to, um, obviously I was too young to work, but I said, I need to learn the language because I, I didn't know a word of English. So I asked uh, around and I was told it was an adult uh, school uh, nearby where I could take some classes, some ESL classes. And so I decided to, I went, I en enrolled myself. And that was my, uh, the first opportunity that I had to, to start learning while I was still waiting for my birth uh, certificate to come from Nicaragua. Things back then took a very long time. As you probably know, I mean, this is before the internet, right? And uh, which things are much easier now, but technology in 1984 was still a little bit behind. But once I got my birth certificate, then I uh, enrolled at a local high school uh, where I did um, my half of the ninth uh, grade. And then from there, uh, and this was Southgate High School. And my brother and I ended up moving to Long Beach. And uh, so my next uh, school was um, Millican High. And so I entered the 10th grade there. Right around that time then, I, um, the, the necessity, actually the necessity to work was there from the beginning, but I couldn't work before because of my age. Once I, um, I want to say I turned... Uh, you know, I turned 16 or maybe before I turned 16 because I look older than my age. So um, actually, I think I had to lie to uh, when I went to my first uh, job interview at a McDonald's. I told them that I was 18. I told the person that I was 18 because I, I needed to to work more than the allow hours for a minor. So I started working when I was uh, when I was in the 10th grade. 
And because my brother and I, um, we needed to, you know, to support ourselves. I mean, I needed to work more than I began working full time since then. So I worked um, the night shift from four to midnight. And from there, um, I would walk home. Uh, I guess back then, I, I, I have to say that maybe uh, I, I'm a person who, you know, spiritually, I mean, I, I believe, you know, in, in the Lord. And, and so I, I believe the Lord kept me safe, you know, walking at night and, uh, you know, at midnight every night, uh, you know, on my way home. So the next day, then I would go to school and um, I would try to stay awake. Uh, at some point, uh, I ended up having more than one job. I had uh, two jobs. And at some point, I even uh, had a graveyard shift at another place. So uh, I worked at a place called Tommy's uh, Famous Chili Burgers. And, um, and so Sunday nights, uh, I would work the graveyard shift. So the next day, uh, Monday, I would get off at 6 a.m. So I would change clothes uh, at work. And then I would walk across the street and, and take the bus. My journey through high school was, was not the typical one in the sense that I never had time to go to any of the functions, any football games or any of the typical functions a high schooler would go to because I was working. I didn't have time to make a, a lot of friends. In fact, I was more of an introvert at the time, which is uh, hard to believe, Cheryl, these days, because now I, I, I can't stop talking. <laughs> I So no friends, uh, no activities. It was just work, uh, go to school. But one thing that, that kept me going was this, this thought in my mind that education was important. And so I knew that graduating from high school was, was something that it was a must. And this was something that my parents had instilled in, with, in me, you know, the value of, um, of, of education, the value of uh, achieving a goal. And so no matter if I was tired or if, um, you know, if I just wanted, you know, to sleep, or rest for a little bit, I knew that I, I needed to be at school. So fortunately, I, uh, I was able to graduate from Millican High School in 1988. And then from there, I, um, I thought I, I, I knew that I needed to continue uh, with, uh, with my education. I, like many, perhaps many others, I decided to take a little bit of a break. I think I was just, I, I just wanted to for once, maybe just work and uh, just have a, a little bit of, uh, of more stability in the sense of, um, you know, having a little bit more time, you know, for me. And so I took a year off um, after graduating from high school. And so about a year later, I decided, okay, I'm ready. I need to go to the local community college. I didn't know how the system worked because when I was in high school, I never met with a counselor. I don't know if I even knew, if I even knew that we, we had counselors there to help us. Or even if we did, maybe, I, I don't think I would have had the time. 
But I, um, so I, I went to um, the local community college. At that time, I was living in San Bernardino already. The, what was interesting is the, the counselor that I spoke to, I believe that the whole time, the, the one thing I remember from him is that he kept looking at his watch the whole time that he was speaking to me. And I, I don't think I was in his office more than five minutes, but I came out more confused. And so not knowing um, what, I, what I wanted to study, then I decided to um, take classes like it was a buffet line where, you know, I'll just, whatever looked interesting, then I'll, I'll take that class, right? There was no roadmap, you know, it, it was just uh, random. So I, I lasted maybe um, two semesters and then I dropped out. Um, because it was just no, I, I couldn't find a purpose. I was working as well. And so this, I, I just decided, you know what, let me just work. Maybe I can make some money and maybe I don't, I can give school a chance at another point. And so I dropped out. Um, that's when I started, you know, working, uh, as a waiter in the, it was, it was a blessing in the sense that I was making, uh, I guess, two reasons. One is that it brought the extrovert in me. Uh, so I had to develop that personality uh, because when you're working as a server, you need to talk to customers. You need to be a little more outgoing. So that helped me come, um, come out of my shell. But also it gave me an opportunity to, to make much better money that I was making working fast food restaurants before a minimum wage. The bad thing about it was that I became good at what I was doing. And so I was making more money at the time that perhaps many other people graduating with a college degree. And the bad thing about that is that it, it kind of fed this thinking that maybe you don't need to go to school. Maybe I mean, why go to school and uh, study and spend all those hours when you're, you're making some good money now? And so a year turned into two, turned into three. So, so I started uh, when I was uh, 19. It wasn't until I was 23, 24. I remember uh, talking to a coworker uh, at this restaurant where we were both uh, servers and he asked me, he says, hey, uh, so what, what are you going to do, you know, with your life besides this? He goes, because you don't want to do what, you don't want to be in the same place at my age, like where I am right now. He goes, look, you know, I'm, I'm over 30. I mean, I have a family to support. There's nothing for me. I mean, so this is, this is all I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And he said, you you got to do something different. Think about it. At, at that moment, it's it's almost like I had an epiphany. And I went back to that thinking of what my parents had always instilled in me about education. You know, education is the way out. It, it was this this comment that, that my coworker made that got me thinking and, and truly sent me back to, to this goal of, I need, I need to go back to school and I need to do something with my life. Otherwise, he's right. You know, this is all I'm going to do. And, and not that there was anything wrong with doing that line of work, but 
I could do more. And so I decided to give the local community college a second chance. And this time, the Lord had someone waiting for me. Um, I didn't have the, the same uh, counselor who kept looking at his watch. Now I had a, a counselor by the name of uh, uh, Laura Gomez, who it's recently retired from San Bernardino Valley College. And Laura did what, for me, you know, what I, what I needed at that point in my life. She actually, uh, when I went into her office and I told her what I wanted to do, she uh, did uh, the roadmap. She basically developed the roadmap. She developed uh, my schedule of classes by semester and said to me, here is you know, what you need to do. Semester one, you're gonna take these classes. Semester two, and she said, by the time you're done with this, and you're ready to transfer to the university. So all I did was follow then what Laura had um, had uh, had built for me or had drawn for me. I did that. I kept working, you know, as a waiter and kept uh, going to school at night. So I went to Valley. I remember, I think I would get off from work at 3 p.m. I would start school at 4 and would go to school till 9 or 10 p.m. Uh, every night. And so I did that until I, it was time for me to transfer. I, from there, I transferred to Cal State San Bernardino, where I major in, um, in business. And from there, then I, I, I kept, you know, going with, with education. Uh, I got my, my MBA uh, soon after. And then after many years of uh, working in uh, various fields, then one day, uh, in talking to a uh, prior chancellor in the uh, Orange County Community College uh, system, then he um, uh, planted this idea of, or asked me this question about perhaps, you know, getting a doctorate. Not something that I had um, thought about. I, I think he planted that seed and then um, the timing was just right because the local university, Cal State San Bernardino, was just starting or had recently started um, uh, offering uh, doctorate programs in education. And so here uh, I, I decided to give it a try. And um, thanks to the Lord again, I was able to go and uh, go in, finish it. My journey uh, in education, I hope, <laughs> finish with, uh, with that last degree. Kind of a long story, Cheryl, but that's, that was my journey uh, coming from, uh, from Nicaragua at the, um, the age of 14, going through um, the border, finding uh, the opportunity here in the U.S. for an education, but also for, for me to, uh, to start a new life here. Thank you for sharing the story because it is just absolutely incredible incredible what you have gone through and where your life has taken you. And I know, you know, for people listening, we see in community colleges, students like you that have come from amazingly diverse and humble backgrounds that have had to overcome so many obstacles. It's just such an honor to talk to someone like you that has 
not only overcome so much in your life, but has gone on to dedicate yourself to serving students like you and other students who, um, who want to build better lives for themselves. So I think your story is so inspirational and so amazing. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of people listening will agree. In fact, I think everybody listening will agree <laughs> because it's amazing. And I think that hearing it made me really reflect on how important personal connections are from your, your family and your brothers to random people you met along the way to the counselor at your local community college who helped guide you and how important those one-on-one connections are to students who, who need guidance and need help. And now in your current position, that's something that you are doing is creating connections and creating connections with businesses and industry and, and students and preparing students for careers in so many ways. How have you seen this work change in the last couple of years? Where do you think that people who work in the system can make the most impact in, in building these local connections? Things have changed, I think, uh, in, in our system the the value i think of um, i think the value of uh, of education is there i think as a society you know we value um education however one of the issues that i see is that we don't put as much value on the importance of career education or career technical education and by that i mean while it's important to get many uh, of our students to a four-year university, the reality is that not all of our students then necessarily want or need to to get um, get a four-year degree because you know we may we have many students perhaps in situations similar to mine where they they and as soon as they graduate from high school or even when they're in high school, they need to work. You know, for them, working a job, it's, it's not a choice, but it's a necessity. Because by, you know, you need to bring food to the table by working, you're, you're, you're a provider, you know, for yourself and uh, to your family. So one thing that, that I definitely encourage is for our educational system to provide options, provide students with different roadmaps that can accommodate according to where they are in their life. For example, for the student who, who wants to, you know, who likes to do things hands-on and who maybe has had an aptitude, right, to, to work on, let's say, on, you know, on, on welding or automotive or even technology, uh, even advanced manufacturing. So for that student, maybe the route might be to go to the local community college and get a certificate or get an associate's degree. And then, I mean, go to work and get some experience. And later on, if that student decides to continue their education, I think by all means, they can continue. So that's, that's one pathway. Another pathway may be for that student who has known all along that he or she wants to go to a four-year university. And maybe those students, some of them may decide to come to the local community college and do their first two years and then transfer to a university. 
or some of them may decide, you know, from high school, then I'm going to go direct to a four-year university. What I'm, what I'm advocating is that we uh, give this message, I think, to our young students to let them know that success can be defined in different ways. So success can be that you come to a community college and you get um, an associate's degree or uh, a certificate, or success can be that you go to university, but it's by giving you the info, I think you, the student, can make uh, a better informed uh, choice about where you want to go, rather than do what I describe sometimes as, sometimes we, we may promote things as there's only one way to go to heaven, <laughs> which is we, we tell students, hey, I mean, this, if you don't go to university, if you don't get a college degree, then you're a failure. And I think that's uh, like farther from the truth. I mean, you, you really, I mean, success can be defined you know, in different ways for our students. We were chatting uh, via email about something that you feel really passionate about. And it was, it was interesting because you had sent me some notes and I, I had responded. I don't know if you had a chance to read my response, but I've been working on an article um, as a series of articles. It's part of a, a book that I'm working on helping prepare students for careers and one of the things that I discovered in my research is that even if you're a college graduate, if you start off your career underemployed, you have a higher likelihood of remaining underemployed five or, or 10 years out. And that's especially true for women. Women and people of color are underemployed after college or can't find careers in their field of study, then they're substantially uh, less likely uh, to grow their incomes and advance in their careers. So that can be one of the most challenging things that our college students are up against is um, just finding a career uh, after they graduate. And I know that's something that you've really been dedicated to in the last couple of years is trying to get students into careers where they have a pathway to advancement uh, and getting them started on the right foot. And I was hoping that you could share some of uh, some of the things that you've been doing in the system uh, to help students as they enter the workplace. I believe we have a, we have a, a big issue, not just now, but I, I we have had an issue for a very long time with um, having um, students who graduate uh, with a college degree and they cannot find employment into the uh, you know, their field of study. Uh, this actually happened to me when I got my bachelor's because I was under the impression, so when I was going, you know, to the university and through the community college, then I was working as a waiter. So I couldn't do anything else because, you know, I was working full time. So, and then going to school full time. So there wasn't time to do any other type of work experience. So what ended up happening was that I graduated, I got a bachelor's degree in business, but I didn't have any other experience other than working in restaurants. That I think was one of the issues. But the other issue was that for me, personally, in my mind, I was under the impression that if you got a college degree, then you would automatically have all these employers 
you know, wanting you to work for them <laughs> or that if you submitted applications, then your phone would be ringing constantly um, because of all these employers competing again for you. But I soon realized that because I didn't have any experience that was related to the job, then I wasn't, you know, I would submit applications after application. I wouldn't get a call. The few jobs that I got a call from were jobs that didn't require a college degree. You know, I, I believe the, the two that I, the two that I actually got were for sales. And, and so um, what I did for myself is I decided, well, I need more education, right? And so that's what got me to go into my master's. Um, and it wasn't until I was halfway through the master's program that an opportunity um, came up to do an internship for a local city. And it was a full-time internship. And so uh, it gave me the, the opportunity, or actually I had to make a big decision at the time because I had to, in my server job, I was working um, I was working full time. I was making, you know, good money with tips, but I also had benefits, especially health benefits, because at the time, I had my two um, my two older sons. I think they were uh, probably maybe three and one at the time, and so I needed health insurance. And so when this opportunity came up for this internship that was full time, but offered no benefits, I had to make a decision as to you know, do I take it or not? And fortunately, I mean, I decided to take it and I pray that my sons didn't get sick <laughs> during the, the whole year of the internship um, that, it was, that was supposed to, uh, to last. Well, that internship, I mean, opened the doors for me because it gave me the opportunity to work, I guess, in an office environment for a lack of a better word. And it was working um, in a human resources department. And from there, I think I was able to, you know, apply my, my work ethic and, and just, um, you know, just the, this, this thinking about um, showing your employer what you're capable of. Um, that led me to other opportunities. So after the, um, the before the internship actually, uh, was supposed to expire, then I got an opportunity to work in the same, uh, within the same organization, but now in a full-time position. And then from there, then I, that, you know, led me to, to different opportunities and until I landed in education, which is the field that, that I'm in right now. So going back to, to your question, Cheryl, is I, I believe that it's extremely important for our students to get work experience in something that it's closely related to the field that they're studying before they graduate. Because, I mean, number one, it gives them that experience, but also helps them to build those relationships, right? Because as they say, it's who you know and who knows you. When you're already, when you're working for an organization and you're someone who is a go-getter and people see that you, you have ambition, you're, you're someone who wants to excel and um, who always gives 100%, then whenever there's an opportunity in that organization uh, for someone, they're probably going to think about you. 
So one thing that I, I highly recommend to, uh, you know, to our students is get that level of experience, whether it is an unpaid internship uh, or a paid internship, or even just an opportunity to learn on the job. I mean, take it. So what we're doing in Orange County right now is we have started through one of our uh, regional projects, uh, which is led by North Orange County Continuing uh, Education. Uh, we have a work-based learning project where we're trying to provide uh, students with an opportunity to, to get those skills, to get that experience before. One of the things that we have done is we are offering something called Future Built Fridays, where we bring in speakers uh, every Friday that can provide our students with some of those tools that they need, number one, to um, build a net, their network, build those relationships, and number two, how to be successful. I mean, when, when you get that opportunity for that job interview, because many of us, I mean, may know, you know, let's say we went through, uh, we, we know our material in a particular field very well, but if we're not able to explain it, if that's not able to come out during the interview, that knowledge, then we're probably not going to get that job. So in Future Bill Fridays and some of our sessions address that, right? How, how can you be successful, you know, during uh, that interview? What are the things that you could say? How could you answer, you know, some of those tough questions? So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll end by saying that I think the more that we help our students, not just I think as a system, we, we do an excellent job of providing instruction and preparing our students academically. But I believe we need to do, we need to help them with what comes next. Once, you know, they, they in the end, I mean, the goal is for them to get a job that provides livable wages, a job where that can help them, you know, move up in the future, and a job that can uh, help them provide for their families and for them to build a better future. So anything that we can do to help um, our students, then after they, they uh, be, actually I should say before they finish, anything that we can do to provide, uh, you know, that level of uh, job experience and skills to succeed, I think the more, the better service that we're going to be providing for them. It's so true when I taught in the community college system, I would tell my students that the best advice that I could give them is to get an internship, get experience and make connections. And in fact, even today during, um, during this pandemic, my seventh grader has been going to all of his teacher's office hours and has discovered that making a personal connection with his teacher can dramatically impact his grade. <laughs> so it's all about, you know, connecting, learning, uh, giving people the opportunity to see you at your best and getting out there and, and getting experience. So I applaud you. I see all of your uh, posts on LinkedIn. Uh, for your future built Fridays. And I think that it's such an important thing to offer to students are these 
um, skills, these opportunities for connections, um, the soft skill practice uh, that so many people need, whether it be interviewing or public speaking. It is so important beyond just growing the knowledge base. It's so important to be prepared uh, and have experience before you enter the workforce. It definitely, it definitely is. And uh, it's interesting that you, um, but uh, that's exactly what I tell my daughters. Uh, I have um, a fourth uh, and a sixth grader. And I tell them, I said, you, you got to talk to your, your teachers because I said, don't, don't be afraid to ask questions if you don't understand something because if you don't ask there might be you know two two things that they might be thinking i mean number one i mean the students got the concept right they understood it so that's why they didn't ask any questions or two maybe they don't care <laughs> and that's why they don't they didn't ask any questions so i said when you go and you actually go to your teacher and you ask it shows that you're interested it shows that you want to learn. So if we uh, apply that, you know, to, uh, to, I guess, more mature students, you know, in, in community colleges, then it's, it's the same when it comes to building those relationships. I mean, it's about you, you gotta get out there and you gotta um, build, build those, that network, right? You know, talk to, you know, people talk to, um, you know, if there's a job fair on your campus, then you want to be able to, uh, you know, to go and talk to that recruiter. And maybe that opportunity, the one that they have at the moment may not necessarily be the one for you. But because you made a good impression, maybe later and you handed out a card or gave out your email uh, or your phone number, maybe that recruiter will call you when, when another opportunity opens up. So um, I, I guess to, to your point, it's, I think it's really important from early on to even later in our professional career to continue developing those relationships. Well, and as we wind down our conversation, speaking of relationships, you are a very active contributor on LinkedIn. So I want to encourage anyone listening to follow you, Gustavo, because you post a lot of great happenings, especially for California community colleges. Uh, and I, I always look forward to seeing what you're up to uh, on LinkedIn. Hopefully you're open to more connections. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because it's LinkedIn. I have to say, I mean, it, it is, it has been very effective uh, for me, you know, it's a platform to get the word out about the, uh, the work um, that we're doing. And, and also, but it also has been excellent in uh, developing new relationships, you know, developing. And this is how, um, you know, I've met actually some of the people I work with now on different projects. I mean, they were actually, I actually met them either through LinkedIn or through, you know, other forms of uh, networking. So definitely I would highly encourage um, any of those, anyone listening to, to actually use LinkedIn. I know you and I are very active on there and uh, I love it. I love seeing what everyone's uh, doing professionally and, and, and keeping track of everything that's going on that way. So anyone listening to Gustavo, friend him on LinkedIn, you're going to get a lot more amazing tips and tricks and find out what's going on, especially in Southern California. So Gustavo, well, I can't believe it. You warned me that you 
we're going to talk a lot and you did. (laughs) (laughs) You did not disappoint, but you have such an amazing story and have made so many wonderful contributions um, to community colleges and to students. And I'm so happy that you were able to join me and, and share your story um, with the audience on this podcast. So, so thank you for your time. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, most definitely when, uh, whenever, uh, you know, you need me to, uh, come on board, uh, and, uh, you know, do another one, uh, definitely count me in. Awesome. I love it. Well, Gustavo, thank you so much. And with that, we are going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening to Higher Education Coffee and Conversation. If you like the podcast, please leave me a five-star rating. And to discover more great higher education-related content, make sure to visit us at graduatecommunications.com. And with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening. Thank you for the hard work you do for students each and every day.